Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton with you on Veteran Voices. Thanks for joining us here today. On today's show, we have the opportunity to talk with a combat veteran and a business leader that has, that has and continues to significantly give back to the veteran community. So stay tuned for that as we learn a lot more. Uh, quick programming note before we get started here. Uh, this program is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming. So find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, type in Veteran Voices. We'll pop up. And you can uh, find the show that appeals to you. And, of course, we would love to have you subscribe so you don't miss a single thing. All right. We have a special guest here today. I, I've, I've been fortunate to uh, have, a, have a sneak peek. I've seen him give keynotes earlier before. And that's why I know uh, that his story and, and his perspective is going to really um, – uh, it's going to be a treat for our audience. So with no further ado, I want to welcome in uh, Jared Turner, Sr., Director of Warrior Engagement with the Warrior Alliance. Jared, how you doing, sir? Hey, how you doing today, Scott? We're doing, you know, it's been a good week, and, and this is a great, it's, it's, it's not the end of the week yet, but I was, I was looking for the, forward to this interview, and, and I think I'm going to be much better off after the next hour. So thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. No, uh, I appreciate this opportunity. I really uh, thank you very much. All right. So, um, for starters, Jared, we want to learn more about you, right? We're we're going to get into um, your military career, your transition, and and all the really cool things you're doing at the Warrior Alliance here momentarily. But let's get to know Jared Turner Senior a little bit better. So, tell us where did you grow up, and you got to give us the goods on your upbringing. All right. So uh, I'm originally from Long Island. New York. Um, my, uh, I'm the youngest of three boys. My parents are from the South. And um, I actually, uh, when I was growing up, I, I wrestled, I played football, and I played lacrosse. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so folks didn't mess with you early. Uh, they don't mess with you now, probably. But back then, gosh, lacrosse, football, and wrestling. And you had two brothers. Holy cow. I bet you had to fight for a place at the dinner table. Yeah, um, there's a, a funny story. One of my brothers, my middle brother, Mike, um, you know, everybody had those cement weights in their house when we were younger. So uh, I remember trying to get bigger and stronger, and uh, I had like 200 pounds on there. And, you know, I challenged my brother to, you know, hey, I'm, I'm Mr., you know, I can wrestle, I'm Mr. lacrosse player, I'm Mr. football. I, I had a pretty good reputation in lacrosse and football. Uh, you know, a guy who's been five foot nine <laughs> since eighth grade, you know, <laughs> roughly about 190, 200 pounds come running at you. Had no earthly idea what to do, but I was just running at you with a stick, <laughs> you know, yelling like I'm going to rip your head off. <laughs> so uh, I challenged my brother one day to a bench press contest, and, uh, you know, that's from doing all the push-ups like we used to do back in the days. And uh, my brother uh, – after I get up with my measly 16, you know, and I'm feeling good about myself, he gets under the bar, the bar slips, hit, hits him in his chest. He's at like rep 15, 16. I go to pick it up, and he was like, get the heck away from me, you lightweight. What the heck is wrong with you? So <laughs> I've always played with a chip on my shoulder. Healthy uh, competition yeah. <laughs> growing up. And, and is that, yeah. um, are you still pretty close to both your brothers? Yes, I am. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when when I came home one time, uh, <laughs> uh, just and if, for those people that know my son, uh, Jarrett Jr., uh, he's roughly, he's 15, 
uh, wears a size 14 and he's six feet tall, but we're always wrestling. Yeah. So, um, I came home and my brother happened to be at my mom's house and, uh, we were supposed to go in the living room and, you know, you're not supposed to do anything in the living room. Well, he bumped into me. I bumped into him. Next thing I know, the dining room table was broken and <laughs> my oldest child, uh, was like, Grandma, <laughs> I'm like, you snitch. <laughs> What's wrong with you, snitch? So, Can't uh, trust anybody yeah, these days. Heck no, your kids will sell you out in a heartbeat. You know, <laughs> they love you and they, you know, tell you, Dad, I love you so much. And Dad, you're the best. And hey, uh, my, my youngest, who is 13, she'll call me. She'll say, hey, big fella. And I'm like, quit making fun of me. And she likes to rub me on my head. So I'm like, you know, something. <laughs> I'm getting tired of y'all already, but, uh, but, uh, well, it sounds but like yeah. you had growing up, uh, it sounds like you had a, a, a loving family, great relationships with your brother, a lot of competition that, that probably drove, I'm assuming would drive y'all to really excel, whether it's sports or academics or just life in general. And it's really cool to hear how that's kind of, uh, carried on to, to today's environment and be able to, to have, you know, enjoy that same relationship as well as with your own children, which is, is, is really cool. So your son is uh, Jared Jr. And your daughter is. So I have two girls. Uh, my oldest is Alexandria or Alex and uh, my son, Jared Jr. And then my youngest, Christina, or uh, as we like to call it, Chris Chris. So. <laughs> So, all right, so I'm going to ask you a little curveball here, Jared, but I'm, I'm sure it's one of you hit out, hit out of the park. Uh, earlier today, we were talking with uh, the mother of three, and I'm the father of three, and, and one of my the co-hosts uh, we do a lot of work with also is a father of three, and we're all talking about, hey, what is one piece of advice out of all the countless pieces of advice we give our, our kids and how just like when we were small, in one ear and out the other, but if there's one piece of advice, that you really hope that all three of your kids listen to and apply as they, you know, go through their journey. What would that one piece of advice be? Now that is definitely a curveball. Uh, for me, that one piece of advice, honestly, is learn how to love yourself before you can love others. Um, you know, um, I grew up, my dad was always around. Uh, my dad is, is actually just, you know, he's the hardest working man I've ever known, honestly speaking. Um, he worked at one time, he worked three, three jobs to make sure that I could go to a Catholic school. You know, um, my hat goes off to that guy every day and I'm so thankful for that. But you know, that older generation, they never really said that they loved you a lot, you know? Um, so I'm always just letting my kids know every conversation, just how much I love them and how thankful I am for them. And, um, after I got injured and um, after I was medically uh, retired from the Army, one of the things that I was able to do with a, a friend of mine through Camp Twin Lakes is we were able to create a kids camp called Kids Serve 2. Uh, we served over 700 kids wow. <laughs> at that kids camp. But, um, you know, one of those things is just being able to tell your kids that you love them and being able to express that emotion of love uh, and, you know, in, in just a healthy, positive way. Um, you served, I served. So we're part of this brotherhood that is so much greater than ourselves. And that, that level of commitment and loyalty, when it's all broken down, it's really love. You know, I, I love uh, my brothers in arms. I love my sisters in arms. Uh, that's why I call them my brothers, you know. Um, 
Uh, we trained hard. We fought hard. We did everything hard. Now, whether you get that in the in the in the military or whether you get that playing lacrosse or football or uh, any other type of team sport, you know, I I personally uh, feel that when you learn how to love yourself and you learn how to accept yourself for who you are, um, you know, you can drive yourself and push yourself harder than anything else. So that's the one thing that I would definitely say. I love that. Well, that wasn't much of a curveball because you crushed it. That's uh, if we were in Truist Park, that'd be somewhere in Midtown, somewhere the ball would be. So uh, I appreciate you tackling that, tackling that because you know, as parents and the responsibilities we have, and and as we try to share both what's worked well for us and what didn't work so well, all you know, this these best practices and advice we pass along. We just hope our kids cling to at least more than at least one of them, you know. Uh, so good stuff there, and I appreciate yeah. your 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 story about your father. Um, I tell you, hardworking people are are salt of the earth, and and it and you know it it goes. You know, a lot of folks will talk about hard work, but but man, folks that just do it, put their head down, and and are kind of you know quiet about it. I mean, that's that's um, really salt of the earth. So let's talk about as we kind of segue. You, you you're touching about some of your aspects of your military career. Let's kind of go ahead and take some steps in that direction. But first, let's talk about what made you join the military, Jared. Uh, actually being a, a dad, for one, and then two, working at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, I was roughly 24, 25 when I began working at the Southern Poverty Law Center in Montgomery, Alabama. And if you think about that, just the history that was there uh, when I was there, I was very fortunate enough, uh, sadly, to be there. Um, this was during a time of our recent history where we had the church burnings. And just looking at the, the commitment of those men and women that worked at the Southern Poverty Law Center and understanding that in many ways, those men and women were heroes. Now, they didn't have any weapons. Um, you know, their weapon was the law, if you will. Um, they stood in the face of adversity, the, the face of racism, the face of hatred, and they said, you know, this is not the right thing to do. So, uh, honestly, um, working there and meeting a, uh, a former Army Ranger, I don't know if you're ever a former, but, <laughs> and a, uh, a Marine, and just listening to them, um, it kind of, I was inspired, if you will, to, to do something that was greater than myself and started really wanting to have that legacy and questioning myself, you know, who was I to, 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 um, be able to really just prosper from these different fruits of everybody else's labor. Um, specifically, uh, on my mom and my dad's side of the family, we both, you know, I was fortunate to have, um, uh, family members that were service members. Um, if we look back in Livingston, Alabama, I mean, small town, West Alabama, if you will, um, in a small church called Shady Grove Baptist Church, I was able to see the tombstone uh, from World War One from a PFC hail. So that is my great 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 grandfather. Wow! And I think about you know that that you were a PFC, and think about all of us all of us who have been able to serve and and to honor his legacy and his memory and, you know, to, to really do that. So um, that's really the, 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 the antithesis, excuse me, the antithesis of me joining the, the Army and um, really making that decision. 
I didn't know what was going to take place, but yeah, made that decision. What year was it that you, that you entered the Army? 2000. 2000. Okay, so this was after you'd already graduated from Alabama State University, I believe. Is that right? Correct. You, you are, you, you'd been working already, exposed to, to the real, real world, so to speak, with the Southern Poverty Law Center in Birmingham. And then you were inspired. Montgomery. I'm sorry, Montgomery. I know you said Montgomery. I, uh, my brain and hand do not work in, in, in uh, conjunction sometimes. All right, so Montgomery. And, and so you were inspired, not only it sounds like from a, your family history and, 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 a, and a track record of serving, but, but by some folks that you were around at the time. So joined the, the Army in 2000 before any of us knew how the world was, was just about to change. What did you, so when you joined the Army and got out of uh, boot camp and got out of what, what uh, I'm not sure, and, and Air Force is tech school, uh, whatever the Army calls it, uh, what, what did you, what was your MOS, what, what, what was your role? So my original MOS was actually that of a fueler. So I was a quartermaster. Uh, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> I have to laugh because my original contract actually said uh, medic, but the things that take place in the army with the recruiter. (laughs) (laughs) It happens in the air force too, in case you didn't know. I don't know. Yeah. So so, medic um, is what you kind of signed up for. And then quartermaster, uh, which is kind of supply chain related, right? Yes, definitely. So it was kind of interesting. Um, had all of this background in supply chain, but you know, even, um, in, in the army, you have, uh, I think it was called, um, I can't remember right now, but it was, you could take, um, an ASI, like a, a specialty, specialty skill set as a medic. So I got onto that and was fortunate enough that the army said, okay, now we're going to send you to actual, uh, AIT for, to become a medic. So I went to two AITs, <laughs> that kind of sucks, but it is what it is, you know, <laughs> I mean, hey, what do they say? They say embrace the suck when you're in the army. So you just embrace the suck, literally. But um, but well, that's, uh, that, no, know, I. There's a reason that journey. To, I mean, that's that's why you're here, and 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 you're here, destiny to give back. So many folks have benefited, and who who to thunk? One of the reasons is because you went to two AITs in the army. So embracing the suck has helped plenty of others. All right, so. Uh, I'm sorry, you're going to continue on through. So you sound like you went back and became a medic in the Army. Is that right? Correct. I became a medic in the Army, um, but, you know, somewhat similar to what you were alluding to, I would have never had thought what was going to take place in 2001. Um, actually, uh, when I speak about my dad, it, it, it always chokes me up. My dad is still living, but uh, as a result of September 11th, after September 11th, shortly after that, he had a, a massive stroke. Um, so, um, yeah. So I've unfortunately I even had to give my dad CPR one time. So uh, the skills that you learn in the army, you just never know how they're personally going to be able to affect you. But uh, yeah, you just never know what's what the future has ahead of you know or in store for you. So. So your father's still with us. It, it, they still live yeah. in. Uh, Long Island, New York? No, dad, dad has actually moved. Uh, dad is with the sisters, and that's totally cool. I have to laugh because, uh, <laughs> so my dad being a hard worker that he is, um, uh, you know, one one year when I was younger, uh, I had told him, I said, Dad, you can't run a marathon. And he's like, 
marathon. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, there's no way in the world you can run a marathon. I'm like, you haven't trained for one. And he's like, well, you pick one and I'll find, and I'll train for it. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So I pick a date and it's like 40 days out and it was a half marathon. But, you know, here it is. The man that works two jobs wakes up one morning when I used to run for wrestling and football and lacrosse practice. He wakes up and I'm like, dad, what are you doing? He says, well, I got to start training for this thing. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to run my little three and a half miles. And he's like, no, nah, just go ahead and run six with me. And, you know, I'm, I'm running six with him. And I'm just like, my heart's about to explode because dad is six feet tall and I'm five, nine. So as you can imagine, and I'm just looking at this guy, like, is there anything that he can't do? <laughs> so 40 days after that, he actually ran, he ran a half marathon just because the son said he couldn't do it. So, so, all right, Jared, and I admire that. What a, what a great, testimony to your father uh, do you are you a chip off the block when, when someone tells you or challenges you that you can't do something or or you know it, do you take that as motivation and, and make it happen I'm just going to keep smiling and laughing right now because probably uh either my physical therapist my occupational therapist or my orthopedist is probably going to hear this <laughs> and I'm going to defy every order that they've given me love it for the right reason, you know, I am going to run. I'm going to push myself. I've been very, very fortunate to to be athletically inclined, and I've also been very, very fortunate to be incredibly hard-headed and stubborn. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like how you answered that question. So, good stuff there. Um, all right, so let's um, uh, let's shift gears a bit. Uh, let's talk about some of the folks that you served with. Um, maybe as a starter, tell us, you know, t you know, when 2001 and, and, the, and uh, the, really the years that followed, talk a little bit about what that meant for your journey with the Army, and then let's talk about some of the folks you, you served with. September 11th just it, it got everybody, um, plain and simple. Uh, I remember flying back to New York, uh, going into LaGuardia Airport and looking at the towers, literally in a plane, looking down at the towers. And I remember even though uh, we were in the plane, uh, the, the smell of the recycled air in the plane changed. Um, you know, um, any of us who were part of that initial push, you understand that um, it was just really, really different. I remember our leadership, uh, our first sergeant, our commander, telling us that, um, you know, hey, we're going to get in, we're going to get out. It's going to be like Desert Storm, Desert Shield, you know. And uh, one of uh, <laughs> one of uh, my battle buddies, uh, I remember him saying, <laughs> we ain't going nowhere, you know. Um, our, our first deployment was 15 months. Now, that's now you would go to jail now if you tried to do that. But, you know, uh, part of being in that initial push, it just was what it was. Just for clarification, for some of our listeners that, that, that may not be as familiar, you're talking about the initial push into Afghanistan. Is that right? Well, the initial push into Iraq. Iraq. Uh, Sorry. Into Iraq. Yeah. That was ugly. You know, very simply stated, that was just very ugly. Uh, I remember two things that really kind of hit me. I remember getting back to Atlanta because I was in Alabama uh, before everything took place. I was visiting uh, some friends and I remember just looking at people and, you know, um, it was just a real crazy time, if you will. And I remember coming back. My mom 
at the time had worked for the IRS and I remember uh, just trying to calm her down and just telling her, you know, mom, I don't know what's about to happen, but mom, you know, um, stay here, you know, stay here. Just, just, you don't get on the road unless the, you know, they call you don't do anything. Uh, I remember from where our home is at, there's always planes flying all over the place. And I remember just looking up, not seeing any planes and not hearing anything. Uh, surprisingly, uh, as I told you, I have family members who are also serving. Uh, my cousin, who um, who retired as a lieutenant general uh, in the Marine wow. Corps, uh, yeah, Lieutenant General Willie Williams, uh, he was on the side of the Pentagon when the Pentagon got hit that day. So he was pulling out fellow Marines and fellow service members. Um, you know, um, it's hard to talk about September 11th, to be honest with you. It's hard to talk about that time because uh, when we were in Iraq, I remember looking at some of the guard units and some of the things that they had written on their vehicles, you know, and some of the names that they had written of the loved ones from New York. Um, it's hard uh, because as a result, you know, I've lost seven to combat and 11 to suicide. Uh, so, but those, those moments were also, uh, some of the best moments of my life. As you can imagine, I remember when we, when we flew into, uh, into, uh, Kuwait <laughs> and I remember when the door opened up and the heat wave that hit everybody and it was like, what in the <laughs> God awful, <laughs> you know, you, uh, it's a dry like, heat, as they it? said, right? It's a dry heat. I spent 45 days in Kuwait, and it was hot. Yeah, it was just hot. You know, I, I think it was, uh, you know, we. I don't even remember what time we got there, but I remember waking up the next day, and it was like nobody slept. So it was like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you, and you walk outside this GP median tent, and it's like 90 degrees. You're like, what the heck is <laughs> You know, uh you know, the Kuwait days were good for us, but it's, you know, when we got into Iraq and, um, unfortunately we didn't have all, all the, 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 the needs. So not showering and the salt stains coming through your uniform and you're just like, man, you smell not nah, bro. You smell like, honestly, we both smell in hell. <laughs> this is, this is pretty nasty, but <laughs> Hey, you gotta love it. So how many, how many combat tours did you serve? And were, were all, were all of them in Iraq? Yeah, both of them were in Iraq. I did two tours. Uh, first one was 15 months. The second one was nine months because I got injured on that second tour. So I mean, it's just it, it is for I did as I've, I've shared with folks. I am not a combat veteran. I was a data analyst in the Air Force, um, I, but but in my time and rubbing elbows with the folks that were combat veterans, and certainly in the you know 18 years or yeah 18 years since that I got out, hearing the stories. And I mean, you know, we, these days we complain when we don't get our package in a day, you know, or two hours in some cases. Uh, my dad served in Iraq. Uh, he did a tour in Iraq as a national national guard. Um, went into a combat zone, uh, and it's just it's amazing what we ask from our military and the sac the hu immense sacrifices they make. Whether you know, so what. With, without, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if there's, if there's, you know, if there's, if there's a thing or two that folks that haven't served or haven't been in combat, you know, that there's something you'd like them to know 
um, important for them to understand what takes place? What would that be? So the most important thing, well, actually, I probably have two. Um, the most important thing is you got to learn how to trust your brother to the left and right of you. If you do not trust them, uh, you're not going to make it. I can tell you that right now. And uh, when I say trust, I mean understand it doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter where the heck they, the, what they look like. They're wearing the same uniform and, you know, um, they're going to sacrifice for you. And, you know, a lot of us will be willing to sacrifice from them. Again, those are my brothers, uh, plain and simple. To um, understand, and it's kind of interesting that we're here in this pandemic right now, you know, uh, the one thing that combat has taught me personally is that, listen, sometimes life is going to just open up something and it's going to be crazy. And you have no earthly idea what the next day is going to bring. But be incredibly thankful for the moment that you have right here in front of you and be incredibly thankful for the people that you're with because it is not guaranteed that they're going to be there tomorrow, the next hour, what have you. It's just not guaranteed. So um, truly train and pray and be hopeful for the next day, but live life to your, to its fullest. Um, um, you know, I, I met one of my, uh, one of my uh, former battle buddies. I can't call him. Uh, He's now a CW3, Chief Warrant Officer 3 in the Army. But um, it was interesting. Uh, we had a, a small warehouse that we kind of lived out of and worked out out of. And uh, he caught me at the uh, the gym not too long ago, and he was just laughing. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? He was like, you're the only person I know this to. You see 225 on the bench, and you're like, all right, that's where we started. <laughs> He's like, what the heck? I might would be laughing like your friend there. I mean, that that is uh, clearly you, you were setting some records and maybe still do. I don't know. I'm kind of jealous. I, I wish I could sit down and start at benching 225 as if that was, um, you know, the first 30 reps. But I don't, I don't, I don't walk in your, your shoes. Here's the record. You still got hair. I don't. And you ain't got no gray. So, <laughs> so if anything, Fair if anything, I got a whole bunch of gray hair right now. And, uh, I used to claim old man status, and nobody believed me back then. No, I'm really claiming it now. Like, I'm really trying to tell them I'm an old man, and they still don't believe me. So I don't know what it is, man. Well, let, so let's – so you you were, you were talking there a moment ago about someone you served with who who is still in, uh, a chief warrant officer, uh, CW3. Um Let's talk about – who else comes to mind? And, and I'm sure that you've, there's no shortage – of folks you served with or you worked for or folks that worked for you. Um, g give us another um, friend of yours or, or fellow soldier of yours that you really you think of when you think about your, your active duty service. Well, I had, a, I had the honor of serving with a chief warrant officer for Jackson, older man. Um, he, he just really kind of, he was from Montana, just old school, um, just just old school and taught me about life you know it was kind of interesting he was just like you know uh he was like hey you got kids i'm like yeah i got kids wife you know and he was just like well you need to start looking about life insurance annuities and investments and you know purchasing your home and once you get a home get a few rental properties and just different things like that he um he was a shorter man, but he was he was like as wide as an oak tree for crying out loud <laughs> <laughs> and he just 
you know, every once in a while, a few explicatives come out of his mouth, and that was that. Um, one of the other uh, gentlemen or brothers in arms that I had the honor of serving with was uh, um, Chief Warner Officer Dixon. And uh, Chief was uh, PBO, property book officer, and it was kind of interesting because, you know, as you get into different things, you start understanding that nothing moves without supply. Plain and simple. I don't care how hard the the you find the hardest of the hardest operator, uh, ranger, Marsoc, marine. You ain't going nowhere unless you got equipment. <laughs> I don't really. I love that. I don't care who you are. Yeah, and um, I just remembered. You know, every once in a while, you emphasis on you. Sometimes believe your own hype. And uh, I remember one time we had a mission that we needed to go on and. I was telling Chief that, hey, Chief, we need this, 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 and this. And he's like, well, you ain't going to get this, this, this. And I was like, well, you know, Chief, the commander said that we need this. And it was simple. He was like, listen, I don't care how big you daggone are. <laughs> you tell him we ain't got it, and that mission ain't about to go down. He was like, I don't get in your medical lane, do you? And I was like, hey, Chief, don't kill the messenger, all right? Don't kill the messenger. <laughs> well, this no shortage of good very honorable folks that you served with, served beside your brothers and sisters in arms. And, um, you know, to hear, I think you, you said you lost eight. Is that right? In combat? So I lost seven to combat and 11 to, uh, to suicide. Unfortunately, um, one of the guys that I served with, uh, that sticks out, his name is, uh, Steven Cruz, uh, specialist Steven Cruz. This guy was a gentle giant. I mean, literally was a gentle giant. It was him and uh, uh, Jason Scrub. Uh, we used to call them the Twin Towers because if you tried to play basketball against them, it was not going to be a good thing for you. <laughs> and uh, then it was uh, a, a fellow uh, brother-in-arms also, uh, Dickie, specialist Dickie. Uh, he was another just ridiculously tall guy and it was like good god all i got the good lord all he gave me was strength so i could hit you hard as hell and i could lift things hard as heavy as hell so, but i didn't get any height so it is what it is when you look back because we're going to talk about your transition next and 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 some of the challenges you faced there and then and then that ensuing transition when you look back at i think 10 years in active duty is that right yeah 10 years Ten years. So when you look back and, and you think about um, the the highest of highs and lowest of lows, and, and no shortage of challenges nor loss, as you mentioned, some of these fine uh, people. You know, what are you? What do you look back and what are you going to tell your your kids about, your grandkids about, and your great grandkids? What are you most proud about? One of the things I definitely would like to tell, uh, and I've told this, you can get through anything as long as you guys got a real good cook. And <laughs> we had Sergeant First Class Ham, who he literally brought his own, he had a footlocker of, of like spices. So he made those, those sea rash and those MREs, this, that stuff was the best in the world. It'd kill you, but it was the best in the world. I think one of the other things is just the, you really have to learn and get to know people for who they are. Um, you know, I think of, I think about the time that we're in right now and, and a lot of social unrest and, you know, racism and just the pandemic. But I was very fortunate that 
people that I served with, white, black, Asian, Latino, they were just good people, plain and simple. And they would do anything for you. And, um, you know, I, that just, for me, just reminds me of you can get through anything if, one, you realize that you don't have to do it by yourself. And then to realize, get the right people around you, get people that are committed to the cause, committed to the mission, committed to just not quitting, and you'll be able to overcome. Wow. We're going to have to have you back next week for the, the, the follow-up hour. I mean, there's a lot, there's so much stuff. You've got no shortage of stories, I'm sure, that we can't get to today, and I, I appreciate you sharing. So let's get into your transition and, and maybe what preceded that, because I know you had some some really challenging set of circumstances. Let's talk about what led you to uh, leaving the army or separating from the army. So unfortunately, when I, uh, when I got injured on my second deployment, as a result of that, I ended up having, I had a piece of shrapnel uh, that kind of filleted me open. Then I also ended up having to have four shoulder surgeries, two elbow surgeries, and as a result, post-traumatic stress and TBI. So when you think about that, unfortunately, that's what made me have to separate from the Army. You know, that was, that was tough right there. I can only imagine. Um, you know, it, it's really tough, I think, for a lot of folks to put ourselves in your shoes. Uh, but to sit here with you uh, 10 years roughly later, and, and how and, and, and we're gonna, I want to get into a little bit of the story, but how you're able to overcome these these. these health challenges and then and and, and also overcome just the, the um the combat experience and, and ptsd and how that really impacts you i think i think i saw where you said hey war always changes you even if if you don't get injured or hurt or or um you know you have significant loss it's going to change who you are i think I, I was reading uh an earlier interview you had um, so to be so to be here now and, and and see what you do to give back, which we'll talk about in a second about the Warrior Alliance and, and other things you're, that you've done, including kids serve too, which you mentioned on the front of the interview. Um, but how did you right. so how did you break through the, these um, these health challenges and get back and get in a good spot where you could after you kind of took care of yourself, you could be in position to take care of others. How, how did you get through that? So one of the things. Um, you know, if you think about it, I said that you don't have to do these things alone. You know, it's, it's imperative that you, you realize that there's others typically on the other side that are trying to help you. Um, for me, that, that others was actually the Shepherd Center Share Military Initiative. Um, this is a polytrauma treatment facility or program for post 9-11 uh, veterans. So uh, that was really the, the that was the one main factor. Uh, the other factor was getting involved. Um, for me, I had to re-engage and find where my fellow brothers and sisters were. You know, uh, when you're in uniform, everybody looks the same. You know, you know where to go. Uh, we used to have this concept on active duty, you know, one stop. You're probably familiar with that term. So, but when you separate from service, you know, coming back to Atlanta, Georgia, there was... <sighs> It was like, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Um, I was medically retired in San Antonio, Texas, and I do not, to this day, I don't remember driving from San Antonio to Atlanta, Georgia. Like, I, there's literally a week of my life 
I, I have no recollection of, and that's because I have a, what you would call a traumatic brain injury. And, you know, uh, having vertigo, being on three pages of medication, um, I mean, when I got admitted uh, to the Sheriff Military Initiative, I, again, three pages of medication, and I, I actually had, uh, I had nine ulcers from taking all the meds. Wow. Was that a program here in Atlanta? You said it was a shared military initiative? So it's the SHARE uh, Military Initiative, and it's at the Shepherd Center. Uh, so essentially, Bernie Marcus, uh, the co-founder of Home Depot, uh, the way he tells the story was he was sitting at home and he was watching TV, and he was listening to what was going on at the VA and the fact that there was a lack of service for our veterans who had been recently separated. And uh, I don't want to quote Mr. Marcus, but you know his thing was, we're about to have another Vietnam. We didn't take care of the Vietnam-era veterans. And here it is now, we're about to fail this, this generation of veterans. And it's just, you know, one of those things where you're just saying, if it wasn't for him um, and his dedication, it just would have been a problem, you know? So that's what we have going on. This program was critical to, to, to re rehabbing where you were and getting you in position to, to give back to others. Eventually, after, how long would you call it that, um, that rehabilitation time period as part of your transition. How long did it take you, do you think, just ballpark terms to get back to where, you know, you were comfortable and, and could out, you know, go out and, and continue your, your career? So actually it's an ongoing process. I mean, we call, uh, we call TVI traumatic brain injury the gift that keeps giving. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, so for me, I have vestibular issues, so I have to read larger, I still have vertigo occasionally. So those are things that it's going to continue. For me, again, having two elbow surgeries, having four shoulder surgeries, having two surgeries on my jaw. If you want to say like the hardcore intense aspect of that, you have to think it was about two years worth of rehabilitation that I went through. And I apologize. I, I didn't, you know, a lot of times I don't say the right words. I know that it's not like a, well, I, I figure it's not like a car where, you know, if the if if something's wrong with a piece, it, you replace it and it's fixed. Yeah, you know, I probably should have restated that. Where it is a continuous journey, and and as you put it, uh, you know, the gift that keeps on giving, it, it probably has some residual stuff that will always be with you. So I I didn't mean to to make light of of um, you know these challenges. So um, all right, so. Uh, you said about two years of really intense hands-on therapy, and then of course all of all of the things that linger that that to this day you're you know you still get through. Um, let's talk about you know your your kind of not your health transition and, and your rehab rehabilitation. Let's talk about your your transition into the the next phase of your career. So, what was what was the first thing at you know post active duty post army that that um, where you started your business career? So I was actually very fortunate that I actually, when I separated from the Army because I was a medic, I was able to work for the VA Medical Center first. And then after working for the VA Medical Center, I was able to work for the, the Veteran Benefits Administration. And then I was able to work for uh, the DAV and Wounded Warrior Project and now uh, serve as the director for uh, the Warrior Alliance. Um, my transition actually was very, it was a very good one. 
uh, again, um, if I was not able to attend college and had that, you know, collegiate background and, and have a specialized skill that was still needed, I don't know if, if, if that transition would have been so well, um, but I was very fortunate for that. So you, you've, you've been able to see a, a several veteran service organizations and probably see a, diff, a, a few different approaches. Um, what, so l let's talk about, um, before we talk about the War Alliance, if you had to give some advice to, um, to other veterans transitioning, um, you know, out of, regardless of service, regardless of the branch, I mean, regardless of what their role would be, whether, for that matter, regardless if they're enlisted or officer. Uh, I was enlisted, um, and, you know, I think a lot of enlisted folks don't have that professional network that a lot of officers do. Not every officer, but a lot of officers, right? Um, and, I, and, and I know for me, just in my experience, that lack of network coming back after two years, um, you know, finishing out my term with the Air Force, I really suffered. Now, I remember getting a, a Rolodex from a, a dear friend of recruiters uh, because I, I didn't, I didn't have know any recruiters. I didn't even know what I, I was, I was uh, poised to do, right? And I just started dialing, dialing recruiters, and 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 sending them my um, very slender, slim resume, trying to find, you know, trying to find a job. Um, but but. What would you? What advice would you give to folks that are that are uh, separating and, and looking to you know find their private sector job? I actually have three uh, tidbits, if you will. Uh, the first, everything that you know, it is incredibly valuable, but you are going to have to repackage it and don't try to do it by yourself. Um, secondly, just because you're not in uh, uniform anymore you still have a ton of work to do. Uh, and then lastly, make sure that you take time and be incredibly happy that you had an opportunity to serve. Um, that first bit of advice, you know, when I think about my transition, my transition was, I was very fortunate. Again, um, I did have a network to come back to. It was a small network, but I had a network. There's a lot of us who do not have a network. Um, you really need to get in contact with a transition specialist really a year out. I would not wait even six months. I would say a year out. When you've made that final decision and you know that it's time, you know, uh, it's time for you to go ahead and separate from service, you need to truly think about what you're getting ready to get into. Um, as you know, you know, the simple things, when we're in service, we're paid on the 1st and 15th. You know, you get sick, you get hurt. Guess what? You're going to get paid regardless. Often inaccurately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. To, to our, uh, uh, I can't remember the, the the office that I found myself in a lot. I'm just I'm just picking on those folks that that uh, you know build the LES statements, all that stuff. So I'm just picking, but it happens. There's two things that will stop a war. Okay, let a soldier find out that their family's not getting taken care. of, You got a problem. That's right. Let them not get paid. You got a bigger problem, okay? Because <laughs> when that spouse reaches out and they said, hey, guess what? The bills are, oh, first sergeant, <laughs> we got a serious problem. I would tell people, you got to really start thinking about this process and understanding that even though there's good intentions in the civilian sector, the reality of it is this. A lot of people in the civilian sector have no earthly idea what to do with us. 
and they don't understand the level of skills because it's a completely different network. Um, you know, unless you're in a fraternity or unless you're in some type of uh, national club, guess what? You're not building that network. I often would tell those who are transitioning, whatever your rank is, uh, lieutenant, colonel, general, such and such, hey, guess what? That's not your first name anymore. Your first name is what your first name is, okay? And let people know that it's not about where you're coming from, but where you want to go. Because a lot of times they're not able to relate. You know, if I tell somebody, hey, I was a combat medic and just the rigors of training that, you know, hey, we get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and we would do, I'm putting soldiers through simulators or, you know, hey, we're going to do a 15-mile force ruck march with, you know, 45 to 60 pounds of gear in your back and we're going to get it done in three hours flat. And they're going to be looking at you like, first and foremost, what the heck is humping? Because I'm about to call HR on you, first and foremost. They don't know what they don't know, right? It's, it's the human element, right? Oftentimes, they want to help, but they can't relate. And I like how you put in, in your first tidbit what you know and what you learned in the military. It's really valuable, but you're going to have to repackage it. And don't try to do that yourself. As you said, hey, find some help. Get a resource. Get a third party that, that really knows how to repackage it so you can really put your best foot forward in that civilian ease, you know, that, that language so that they can really pick up and, and see where that value comes to play, right? Correct. Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, uh, the United States, we're a proudful nation. And, you know, truly, um, there is a lot of commitment to uh, the veterans and the service members. But um, at the Warrior Alliance, one of the, thing, one of the things that we say often is, you know, are you veteran-friendly or are you warrior-committed? I think right now we're learning as a society what warrior-committed really means. Um, you have to understand um, that a lot of people, they can't relate. So it is on your behalf, you are an ambassador to the war, uh, to society, and you really are trying to get them to understand, hey, um, yes, I might have done some hardcore things in the past, but look, I'm your neighbor. You know, I'm your coach. I'm your teacher. I'm your, your, you know, your business consultant. I am a, a, I'm a human being just like you. So you have to make yourself relatable. Um, that second tidbit is, you know, or really the, the third one, but um, you have to kind of tell society that you're proud of what you did. A lot of men and women or civilians, they don't necessarily have family members that have served. So again, you know, um, a lot of my, um, the kids that I was coaching, I'm sorry, again, COVID lifestyle right now, but a lot of the kids, I mean, I would have never thought that I was going to be a lacrosse coach. Again, I'm from Long Island, New York, and, you know, here it is. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's like, what, you're about to coach lacrosse? Yeah. You know, that's kind of crazy to me, but um, a lot of my, my players, did they had no earthly idea that I had even served. And, you know, I told them the stories of the Army, and I told them about the level of camaraderie and the level of commitment and, you know, what that meant. And essentially started rebranding myself, not as the, the, uh, not as the Army guy, but, hey, I'm just your coach that happens to have served in the Army or – hey, you know, I'm this nonprofit leader that happens to have served in the Army, you know. So you really get to a point where you are, you're really 
you're talking about who you are now and not who you were in the past. I love that because it also when, when when I hear you say that it also speaks to the you know the art of the possible and and what you can become and all the potential you have post military post active duty right uh, you're not limited to, to your to to where you come from so I I love that message I hope you shared all right so let's talk you mentioned the Warrior Alliance let's talk about the Warrior Alliance let's talk about what the organization does and then let's talk about where you spend uh, spend your time but before you do sorry you mentioned Warrior committed right right all right so last time that uh i saw you uh and and we had a, a very brief chance to chat you were one of the keynotes for a vetlanta summit that was at mercedes-benz stadium in atlanta and back behind you I, I'm, I'm almost positive there was a big warrior committed backdrop or, or sign or something I, and i got a great snapshot of you while you were speaking not not to put words in your mouth but mr arthur blank when we look at folks that put their money where their mouth is to communities that really can use it, I've just long admired what he's done and what what his the the foundation that he's connected to, and 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 of course the Falcons. It seems like they're certainly helping a lot of people, including veterans, but a lot of folks. I, I hope we can label them warrior committed. They are definitely warrior committed. You know, um, when I say warrior committed, I want you to think about when we see. Uh, service members walking through the airport, a lot of times you just see people start clapping their hands and just saying thank you. But the reality of it is this. If you see a ton of service members start walking through the airport in Atlanta, Georgia, folks, they're probably coming from Fort Benning, okay? They ain't done nothing yet, okay? <laughs> so let's just go ahead. Let's, let's get rid of that right there. No. Be Warrior Committed is simply this. It's not just a handshake. It's not just lip service. It is actually actions behind the words. You know, you mentioned Arthur Blank. When you start thinking about the uh, Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta United, the um, Blank family businesses, you have to also think about Steve Cannon. Steve Cannon, West Point graduate. Steve Cannon also served our country. And, you know, he's really that one person who kind of talked to Mr. Blank and said, hey, sir, you know, we have to do this because it's the right thing to do. We always have to acknowledge our service members and our veterans. That is being warrior committed. That is taking um, your business, your brand, and bringing people in and acknowledging their service, you know, regardless of whatever the NFL is doing. And, and I can honestly attest to this. The Atlanta Falcons are doing things with the kids of veterans. They're doing things for veterans. They're doing things for service members. And it's not just the Falcons. It's the Atlanta United. It's their entire family business and their brand that stands not behind. Because when you start thinking about, hey, I stand behind you, well, that means you're behind me. When I'm in battle, you're shoulder to shoulder with me. I don't need you behind me. I need you shoulder to shoulder with me and that's what warrior committed is about warrior committed means that hey we're going to look at our company we're going to look at our organization and you know something we're going to realize that we can probably do better and when i say do better the veterans that you have in your company or organization do you have programs that are actually specifically for those veterans do you have programs that are for their caregivers because if you need employees guess what you take care of those veterans and their family members, oh, you're going to have a ton of employees. That's building your legacy. That's building your brand. 
that's warrior committed. You know, warrior committed is saying that, hey, the status quo is unacceptable. Warrior committed says, okay, we're not going to wait for the government to come in and solve this problem. Does the government have the resources? Yes. And they also have typically three to 4,000 pages worth of regulations that prohibit you from getting to those resources. So um, warrior committed for us is essentially taking a platform like uh, Salesforce and adopting it through uh, one of our partners, which is called America's Warrior Partnership, and using the data, but then also having the manpower. So we're using a concept of the human-centered design, so where I have a team of actual veterans and family caregivers called navigators that if you contact us, you're actually going to reach somebody. Um, we don't profess to be the organization that has it all, but what we do profess to be is the organization that has uh, memorandums of understanding and service level agreements with roughly right now 27 organizations. And through those 27 organizations, we've been able to serve, uh, provide services, if you will, for 3,000 plus veterans in a greater Atlanta metropolitan area. That is moving the needle. That's making a huge impact. That's warrior committed. And it's not as much as we all appreciate the gestures, the simple gestures, right? You're talking about the airports and and you know the the the, the folks that you know thank you for your service and all. And, and we that's highly appreciated. But gosh, we've got to get um, we've got to do so much more. We, we have a debt, huge debt that we all own. Uh, that if we live here uh, to take care of the folks that have taken care of us and gone and served, especially in especially in combat. Because uh, when they come back, they've got needs, and, and that's our debt. So I, I really I love the little bit you've shared. I, I know that y'all's mission, your organization goes a lot deeper and further than what the little bit you shared already. Um, and, and when I say a little bit that in terms of uh, brevity, because uh, I want to protect your time. But the, the, anything else about the Warrior Alliance that you think when folks hear that, that it's really – important they understand one other element as to the mission or as to what how you serve or, or what have you so i will touch on that one thing when it comes to the warrior alliance but i also want to acknowledge um because sometimes we we make the mistake if you will of saying that it your service has to be overseas i want to recognize those men and women from the georgia national guard that you had over 2100 guardsmen that were deployed to new york california I mean, we do so many things or they do so many things. It's not just overseas. Right. When right. the crap hits the fan, we got to remember that it is these men and women who they might don the same uniform that active duty dons, but they're your neighbors. And they just decided to step up and say, hey, there's something greater than myself. And not only do they have civilian jobs, but they said, hey, I'm going to serve the country by being a reservist or a National Guardsman at the same time. So I really want to recognize that, especially, you know, during this time of the pandemic, because, again, that's 2,100 men and women who honorably left their own families in the time of a crisis and say, hey, I've got to go do this because my country, my state has called me. So I, w I want to make sure that we always, that we acknowledge their sacrifice as well, uh, because it's not just always overseas. So getting back to the aspect of the warrior alliance and you know what i what i want people to understand is this 
the the previous models when it comes to a veteran service organization is hey you have a, an organization and they say okay I'm gonna have everything that you need inside these four walls that encompass the organization that's just not the reality folks that's not the reality you have you know entities like the Shepherd Center this is a top 10 spinal cord rehabilitational facility that oh by the way has a veterans program so they're addressing neurological issues in the veteran community at no cost whatsoever if the warrior alliance tried to do that honestly there's no way in the world we could do that we're not set up to do that an organization like camp twin lakes family warrior weekend and kids serve two camp kids serve two camp through Camp Twin Lakes, here it is, this program is for the, the kids of veterans and service members. You're talking about going to a week-long camp for $45 for your kids. Now, wow. I don't know how many, right, Family Warrior Weekend. Yeah. Can they go multiple <laughs> weeks? I already got some ideas for my three, and, and, and a lot of camps. You know, you got Vacation Bible School that typically is free, and, we, and I don't want to tell on, on us, but we look for a variety of vacation Bible schools, right? Keeping kids busy. But yeah, 45 bucks, kidding aside, 45 bucks for a week. I mean, what a, uh, and, and, and so to tie it back, the Warrior Alliance helps make these types of opportunities happen. Is that right? Correct. So what will happen is the, the warrior, and again, for our purposes, a warrior is any veteran or service member that has registered with us. As long as I can verify that they have a honorable discharge and as long as I can verify their service because reservists and National Guardsmen don't always get DD-214s, then they are eligible for our veteran, for our resources for veterans. We call everybody warriors because we honestly believe that you are a warrior. Look, needs of the Army or needs of the service will dictate what's going to happen. Some people got deployed. Some of us didn't get deployed. Look. I, I will not sit up here and, and, and tell a lie and say, oh, you know, when the crap hits the fan, yeah, send me. No. <laughs> when the crap hits the fan, I was like, I don't believe what the heck is going on. You know, I started thinking about my legacy as a dad. But I was very fortunate that, you know, hey, the Army trained me. I had the skill set. I was with the right, uh, right, you know, unit, right team, right platoon, right company. And it is what it is. We got sent over. We did what we had to do. But. When it comes to the Warrior Alliance, we take those men and women, we have an intake coordinator who will get all your information, make sure that we are have all your demographic information, and then we'll connect you to one of our navigators. Our navigators will put you through a process of just learning who you are, understanding your needs, and understanding what actually, um, sometimes the things that we talk about aren't necessarily the things that we need to be so concerned with. Uh, we are very fortunate that we have a, um, a survey based upon the Department of Health and Human Services in Utah called the SF12. It's 12 questions that a veteran or warrior can answer that gives us a glimpse into understanding mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually where you were at four weeks prior to engaging with us. For us, it's understanding your totality so we can truly address your needs. For some people, they just want to connect with fellow veterans. Okay, that's typically a simple one. 
But for others, there might be some financial instability, some food instability, some emotional instability. Well, we got to understand, okay, what got you to this place? Um, the VA is the largest veteran entity, plain and simple. We, we are essentially a triage when it comes to the VA. At some point or another, you're going to have to go to the VA. But what we want to be able to do is get you squared away, make sure that you're at least at a very stable position. So then when it's time for you to engage with the VA, guess what? All of your needs are met. And you can go in there and truly express your needs in a very calm, cool, collective manner. Um, so we have 27 partners that are allow us to do this. And by using Salesforce, it allows us to connect with all 27 partners. It also allows to keep all of the data secure. Um, prior to COVID, we were uh, roughly 80 to 120 new veterans in our organization every month. As a result of COVID, we've gotten dropped down to between 40 and 50 new veterans. But the amount of veterans that are already in our system or warriors that are re-engaging with us has gone all the way up to 80. So we're making an impact at the Warrior Alliance every day. And, you know, we're understanding the needs of our warriors and our caregivers. I love that. The focused aspect of that, the targeted aspect of that, the customization that's involved because we all come from different walks of life, have different needs. I love that component of what I'm hearing. Uh, and so for more information, the warrioralliance.org, is that right? Correct. You can find us, uh, you can reach us at uh, 404-210-1776, or you can go to the warrioralliance.org and register with us. Allow us 48 hours. Our intake coordinator will uh, reach out to you by phone or by email, but you will be connected with the Warrior Alliance. Outstanding. Appreciate what you do. All right, so let's... Uh, here in the last question or two here, uh, Jared, I want you to weigh in kind of in the bigger picture. You know, if there's one thing that, um, you know, that you're spending a lot of time tracking or uh, keeps you up at night or you, you find yourself talking with, with uh, your, your family about it, you know, day in and day out, we all have those. What's one thing that, you, that, that, uh, that you're tracking right now more than others right now when you look at trends and developments and issues and challenges and you name it? So right now, uh, there's a few things that we're tracking as far as this in the veteran space. Uh, one of the major things that we're tracking is the limited amount of resources. Prior to COVID, there was a very good uh, focus on, you know, um, understanding and ascertaining the needs of our veterans here in the greater Atlanta metropolitan area throughout the state and honestly throughout the nation. But when the pandemic hit, uh, a lot of the funding, uh, a lot of the resources, of course, rightfully so, went to um, assessing and dealing with the pandemic. Unfortunately, one of the things that has not been addressed in our state as well as in our nation is the simple fact that you have more and more people reaching out for more mental health resources. One of the statistics, um, March of this year, prior to the pandemic, the VA only had 178,000 people requesting uh, telehealth appointments. Now, as of June, that number has spiked up to 780,000 people are requesting telehealth appointments. Wow. That was June, you said? Holy cow. Yes, that is June. Staggering. So between March and June, um, and 
you're not hearing any conversation about mental health. You know, um, that is something that is definitely concerning. Uh, right now, there is, um, we, we cannot ignore the social uh, unrest that we have in our society. You know, when you think about the military um, and you think about the veteran space, you have to think about um, the legacy that that has. You have to think about the commitment, but you also have to think about the responsibility. Again, we're requesting that the National Guard come in and we're requesting that the National Guard, you know, come and not protect overseas, but come home and protect different things and, and try to take care of a lot of things here at home. That's hard for those men and women. You really have to understand that. You have to also think about as the society, as our economies are starting to reopen and mom and dad want to go to work. Well, schools aren't open right now. They're not open for a good reason. We've got, we're in the middle of a pandemic, folks, you know, uh, so you have to think about our service members and our veterans that now are just like the rest of society, but it's compounded because some of them have served in different capacities on active duty and some of them that do have residuals. So the amount of stress under not just the, the men and women of our country, but just the amount of stress under our service members and our veterans. Right now, honestly speaking, I'm just not seeing that uh, attention to detail. You know, one of the things that we're trying to do is to make sure that people understand, listen, when you think about your veterans and you think about your service members, please don't think about us as just a fly-by-night type of thing. No, we are the men and women who are committed to do things that so many are unwilling to do. So please don't forget about us. You know, there is a study that's out right now. When you start thinking about the amount of compensation that active duty service members receive, well, you have a lot of active duty service members that are actually receiving food stamps. That makes no sense. Why? Because their families are not receiving enough compensation that allows them to go out and buy grocery food and different things like that. I mean, major bases were closing. So it's not like we had 20 years ago where you had all of these large facilities where people were just living on its facilities. So those are really the three things that, you know, when I start thinking about what are we looking at is we're looking at are the resources going to be here in a year from now when it comes to taking care of our veteran population? Are we looking at higher rates of, unfortunately, suicide? Nobody's reporting on this right now. Unfortunately, we're tracking it, but nobody's reporting on it right now. And, you know, those are the things that we're really focused on. And again, a state like Georgia, in the next five years, Georgia's going to have over 2.2 million service members and veterans. That is a large portion of your society or population here in Georgia. And we have to think about it. Are veterans in the state of Georgia receiving the adequate, adequate excuse me, benefits and resources that other states around us are receiving? And unfortunately, no. So those are some of the things that I'm thinking about as we, you know, progress and move forward. Kind of wrap that up. You know, even though we're in this pandemic time, that, that this un, you know, I hate, I hate that, I hate to borrow cliches, but you know, this is a, this is such a historically challenging year. What, what's what I'm hearing you say, and, and you know, we we uh, uh, we work with a wide variety and sit down with a wide variety of nonprofits, and they all kind of make a point that you're making in, in a way, in a you know, different way, shape, or form, is that just because we are in this unprecedented year, the need 
for the needs you're serving doesn't stop and call time out simply because we're in a pandemic. I mean, in some, in many cases, Correct. as you're pointing out, the need gets greater. So really want to encourage our audience to, to lean in to uh, veteran service organizations. Check out the warrioralliance.org. You know, see how you can help. And I, I, again, I really admire the way that you clearly, with conviction, are set out to move the needle and help the veteran community and, and give back, but also give forward and you know, help us all get through this, this year of 2020 and, and help our veteran community get through some of the challenge, unique challenges it faces. So that's also one of the reasons, you know, and I thank you very much for that, but that's also one of the reasons where, you know, for me, it's not just about giving back, as you said, it is really about being progressive and moving forward. You know, I am open to speak to anybody when it comes about the, the data uh, you can speak to myself. You can speak to our VP. That's one of the reasons that we use Salesforce. Uh, we ask the right questions so we can get the hard, concrete, concise data. There's no need to estimate or wait, you know, for 2017, 2018 reports. I mean, we have the data here on the greater Atlanta metropolitan area, and we are actually seeking more ways to get involved with more so we can get more accurate data to tell the story of the veteran because it's not just now we have to think about our future veterans we have to think about our future service members and to be very honest with you you know there's no reason that with all the technology and all the resources that we have that we don't make it better for them it is not fair if we're not making it better for them so i hate to, to wrap it up there but i love the point you're making we, we, th things have to change and for things to change it takes forces right you know between the data and i love the data driven approach it's so important that way you're not making you know no one's making generalizations and assumptions hey this is what the data tells us and you combine that with experience and and, and proven systems and of course leaders that can bring the the elbow the elbow grease and the leadership bandwidth and know how to how to drive change um y'all writing an outstanding book here and we look forward to having you back on and, and uh, getting an update on all the progress you've made. So how can folks connect with you, Jared? Well, primarily if they're looking to connect with me, uh, again, you can go to the warrioralliance.org. You can register that way. You can send me an email through the warrioralliance.org. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Jared Turner Sr. on LinkedIn, or just look for the Warrior Alliance. The other thing that I would encourage people to do if they had any questions, again, just just reach out to the organization. You just said it, you know, I'm not that leader that's going to just sit behind a desk. Uh, one of the things that uh, a group of men, myself uh, included, are going to do starting September 6th, we're going to run from Atlanta, excuse me, from Washington, D.C. to Atlanta, Georgia. The first day of our run, we're actually going to run around the Capitol for 22 hours to raise wow. awareness for those men and women that have succumbed to suicide. So I'm, I'm easy to find, um, you know, and, and I do that on purpose. Again, it, it's going to take hard work and it's going to take sacrifice. But, it, again, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on uh, uh, by going to the warrioralliance.org. You can also find us on uh, social media. So you can find us on Facebook. Really grateful for what you do. I'm grateful for the last hour, hour and some change uh, for, uh, you know, to kind of reconnect with this, your story and your journey, but also what you're doing about the issues we, we face here today and, and, and making it better for folks that deserve it. 
arguably the most, and that, that's the men and women that served in uniform, whether, as you put it, here domestically or abroad. So thanks so much, Jared Turner, Senior Director of Warrior Engagement with the Warrior Alliance. Thank you, Jared. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. All right. So on behalf of the whole team here at Veteran Voices, I hope you enjoyed this this uh, story as much as I did. It, it was better than the, than the last time I was able to hear uh, Jared speak and, and kind of give his testimony, but also uh, talk about how things have to change and, and how we've got to serve uh, much more effectively this our, our veteran community. So Scott Luton here wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, do good. Give forward as we just as Jared was just talking there. But be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time here on Veteran Voices. Thanks everybody.